Can we give the Gallagher's a hand? That's awesome. I love, uh, one of my takeaways is the fact that uh, what Jesus invites us into, what he'll teach us about our own development, that he won't teach us should we just sit in the church rows on Sunday morning. But when we step into leadership roles, I appreciate their authenticity and their integrity. Wait a minute, we're, we're teaching a, a lesson on, on generosity. Are we, are we even stepping into that? And I appreciate their story so much. And as you can tell, uh, Jesus means a great deal to them. Uh, Bill and Carla uh, rarely talk about Jesus without crying. It's that personal for them. Uh, week two of Genetically Generous looks like this. Last weekend we said uh, that there is, a, uh, there is a God who has genetically wired all of us to be generous because God is generous and he's created us in his image. And so when we express our generosity, we're actually showing people, not with words, but with actions, what God is like and what it's like to be in God's family. It's actually an assumption that Jesus has with his disciples that to be a disciple of Jesus is that you are hospitable, you are generous, you serve other people, and you love other people. Now, here's the truth about us as humans. We all have different personalities. We all have dif different temperaments. My childhood is different than yours. Uh, my background is different than yours. Obviously, I'm a Bengals fan, so pray for me. It's going to be another long season here starting in about a week and a half. But that's okay. While we all have different temperaments and personalities, we're all wired for generosity, but we express it in various ways. And that's a good thing. That is something to celebrate. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're just going to jump into the text. We've got a lot of scripture to cover here, a lot of ground to gain. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 through 7. If you're watching online or here, uh, we'd encourage you to download the Bible app at whatever app store you use on your phone. Uh, if you are new to the scriptures and you're like, I don't know where to start. Somebody that I think is my friend said Leviticus. Don't start in Leviticus. Download the Bible app. There are tons and tons of Bible plans, all right? So if you want to read the Bible in a year, if you want to do a four-week devotional, it, it, the gamut, it, it runs the gamut, but it's a great way for you, if you're interested in getting started in the Word, to at least start somewhere. Uh, start the behavior. The behavior is the more important thing than, you know, crushing it uh, and being, a, you know, an expert in, in the spiritual discipline. Just starting is really helpful. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, there's um, an issue that Paul is addressing with the Christians in Corinth, a first century city. You can actually go there today, which I love about Christianity. This is not a fairy tale story. You can go to Europe and see uh, these cities and the ruins in these cities. And here's the issue, friends. There's actually a Christian church in Jerusalem that is financially strugg struggling. Poverty has paralyzed that church. And so other Christian churches in the first century are networking together to help out this church in Jerusalem, which really is a beautiful thing if you think about it. Kind of like a lot of the Christian churches in New England, if there's a major catastrophe that happens, we can band together and help each other out, even regardless if those people do or don't go to our church. They belong on the same team, the kingdom of God. And that's a blessing that churches can do to network. Here's the problem. <laughs> they haven't sent the money yet, right? Ever, you ever had a friend say, oh, I meant to send that. The check must be in the mail, right? Well, it's 2019. There are, there are apps for that. You can send money digitally, and you don't have to worry about 
uh, receiving a check in the mail. And so Paul, on the one hand, I would imagine the way the Lord wired him as a dominant driven leader. I mean, you'd have to be to plant churches throughout Europe and spread the gospel. Uh, Paul is, I think, battling the tension of dropping the hammer, but also pastorally, pastorally coming alongside the church saying, hey, remember you made a commitment here to be generous to these Christians. And so it's with this background he writes, 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, And that's going to matter in a few minutes. For God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul basically says, all right, church, you made a commitment. Your your leadership said, we're going to do a generosity challenge. 90 days, uh, a month, one Sunday, it doesn't matter. We're going to do a generosity challenge where we want you to give above and beyond your normal giving so we can help this church in Jerusalem. You have not yet sent that. So remember, let me, let me tell you about kingdom impact with your dollars. People in churches that give sparingly from their hip pocket, whatever they have, right, probably uh, will get a limited view of God. If they sow sparingly, they will reap sparingly. So it makes sense that if this church in Corinth, uh, if they sow sparingly, it makes sense that the check is in the mail, because if, if we just give, if you just give out of your hip pocket, if you have a tendency to tip your waiter and waitresses more throughout a given month than you give to your local church, RCC, an outpost of the kingdom of God in Salem and the surrounding communities, it would make sense that you would say, oh, all the church wants my money. No, Jesus wants your obedience. I'm not going to give to that. Well, it would make sense because if you give little, you expect little of God. And so, yeah, sure, the pastor is supposed to say, you know, generosity tells better stories. I say that a lot around here because it's true. I've seen it with my own eyes. But churches that are stingy with their finances do not invite God to move. They don't know to beg God for a movement to happen in the midst of their church. It's just not, it's just not even on the radar. It doesn't mean they're good or bad Christians. It just means their perspective is limited. But secondly, he said, there are some givers who sow generously. They, they love to give. They love telling better stories. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. And so for Paul and for us, the question he's proposing to the church in Corinth is the question I'm proposing to us today, right? Are we going to be a church that sows sparingly or sows generously. Now, as the pastor, here, here's, here's, the, here's how the burden is light for me. I don't get to decide that. You do. You get to decide that. And you don't get to decide that on Sunday mornings. You get to decide that every time income comes in your house with a perspective of, is this mine or does this belong to the Lord? So we talked about in week one. Am I, am I the owner of my income or am I a steward or am I a manager of my income. See, that, that's why when I, when I preach, we'll do a generosity series and a challenge every year here. We'll do it once a month. So if you're like, I don't like these series, just come back in three weeks. We'll be done with it, but we'll do it again next year. And then you'll, okay, you know what I'm saying? But, but, he, but here's the deal. Paul is inviting this church to be generous, to move forward on their commitment, which is why he writes 2 Corinthians 9, 7. 
which for me personally is my favorite verse on generosity. Paul says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what makes somebody like want to party and have fun? Like what makes someone where their favorite part of the service is the offering talk, right? Like that's, you're, you're laughing, so it's like not mine, right? But, but, but Paul says it's, it, it has the potential to being your favorite part of the service every weekend. Well, cheerful people that give uh, do not give uh, reluctantly. They, they give willingly and, fr- and freely, right? And they've, they've thought about this. They, they've put some forethought in their mind, and they don't give under compulsion. I've seen this time and time again, Right? Uh, through the 13, 15 years, something like that, of me being in ministry, I have seen spiritual abuse with my own eyes. Pastors taking series on generosity and money and saying things like, if you give a certain amount, God will bless you. God's not obligated to do anything. You're just giving people empty promise and false hope and more money in your pocket. The blessing from God is Jesus bloodied and bludgeoned on a cross and then rising again three days later. Now, if, if God wants to bless you because of your faithfulness and your generosity, great, but that's not a guarantee. And so we don't give in hopes that God will give something. That, that's not grace, friends. That's karma. Karma says, I'm going to do something in hopes that I get something back uh, from the Lord. Paul says, don't do that. Don't give compuls- under compulsion. And what's really easy, I was talking about this with uh, with one of the guys after the first service, it's really easy to not know that you're under spiritual abuse because it sounds like something we should do as a church. It sounds like it's a responsibility to give to the local church. It is, but it's not the pastor's job to get in your pockets and say, I looked at your records. You should, you should give a little more. Let me tell you something. Rest assured, friends, if I know what you give, Lisa Baker, who heads our finance team, will end my life, okay? What you give is none of my business. It's between you, your family, and the Lord's, as it should be. So how does someone give generously versus uh, giving sparingly? Let me, let me give you three things to think about. I thought about this last night, so it's not on the screen. Number one is you have to have a family meeting, right? We're asking you to step into a 90-day generosity challenge above and beyond what you're giving to the general budget. You got to have a family meeting. If you have middle school or high school students, they get to be in on the meeting, all right? And if you're a middle school or high school student, don't roll your eyes, all right? This will be a good thing for, for you. Maybe even as young as fourth and fifth grade. You need to sit your family down and say, here's the money that the, that the Lord is allowing to flow through our household in our hands in a given month. Now, parents, Use discretion, okay? You know what I'm saying. Use discretion. And then have an honest conversation. This is the money going out. And your kids are like, wow, we spend a lot on food and eating out. And you're like, yeah, no kidding. You won't stop eating, right? It's a good opportunity to show your kids how much, you know, they caught. No, don't do that that way. But it's an opportunity for them, listen, for them to start the behavior not the amount or the giving of generosity, but to start the behavior of generosity. I asked my parents, because I was so inquisitive as a kid, it got me in a lot of trouble. I asked my parents, hey, how, how do we keep the lights on? How do we have food on the table? And they would say, well, just be grateful you have food on the table. And I'm like, let me look at me. I'm, I'm very grateful that there's, <laughs> there's food on the table. 
why do you give to a church? That just seemed weird to me. I remember sitting back in the day in the 90s in a church pew uh, and my mom putting out her pocketbook and writing a dollar amount. I'm like, oh, this is my chance. So I leaned in and as quick as I leaned in, she slapped me and said, hey, what are you looking at? I'm like, I want to know what this means. Parents, I would even say, I would use language strong enough that you have an obligation to help your children begin to learn the behavior of what generosity looks like in your own house. Have a conversation. Decide on the percentage or dollar amount that your family wants to give. And and your children get a say, okay? Ultimately, mom and dad, you have the final decision. But thirdly, whatever that percentage or dollar amount is, I need you to take that to Jesus and pray a specific prayer. It's a prayer of permission, it's a prayer of permission. Jesus, we've looked at our finances. We, we think this is the percentage and dollar amount that we need to give to RCC or that we need to give to this 90-day generosity challenge Ben keeps talking about. Do I have permission to do this? And this is where you need to listen to the Spirit, right? Because he may say, no, you don't have permission. You need to increase your giving. You have more margin than that. Or here's something you may have never heard a pastor say. You need to not give under compulsion. Be more realistic. You're in a really tough season. You actually don't have permission to give that amount. You need to give a little less. I don't know what that is for you. It's not my job to know what that is for you. My job is to irritate you by putting Jesus in front of your, in front of your faces and saying, have a conversation with him. And then, here's the, here's the best part. Maybe this is step four, is then give it cheerfully right? Don't let a pastor or a church leader or someone in your life group or friend or neighbor to say, oh, come on. I know how, I, I see the cars that you lease and I know the field that you're in, the kind of, inc- you should give more or you should give less. No, God loves a cheerful giver because they've had the meeting. They've taken that before Jesus. They, they sense that they have a peace that Jesus has permit, given them permission to do this and they act on it. See, what Paul is teaching us beyond our generosity is actually healthy boundaries for a mature Christian. If you have healthy boundaries, you are annoying to your family members and friends that don't have healthy boundaries. See, we don't just give under compulsion, and we, we just don't give uh, reluctantly. We do uh, relationships this way. We date this way. We express our sexuality this way. We, uh, we, we make decisions this way. If we don't have conversations about the issues that are forming our lives, that are under spiritual development, we're just going to do whatever, right? Somebody offended me. I need retail therapy. I'm going to the mall or it's 2019. I'm going on Amazon, right? I'm going to buy something that'll be here in 48 hours. This is a bigger principle that Paul is teaching the, the Christians in Corinth and even us today. If you have not had conversations about things that matter most, and you've not decided that within your own spirit after praying to Jesus, talking about it with your spouse and your family, uh, you're, as Paul says in either uh, Colossians or uh, Philippians or Galatians, one of those smaller letters, you're like a ship at sea that's just going to blow back and forth. You, you really have no control over your life. You have no self-control. And that's why Paul says God loves people that give cheerfully because they've settled in their, in their spirit of what the Lord is inviting them to give. They've settled in their spirit 
uh, what the Lord is inviting them how to do relationships, how to do their marriage, how to handle their business and their finances. Does this make sense? And nobody, nobody can tell them differently. Man, you get a church like that, that's a church that gives generously, but that's a church on fire. So, so what lies behind our generosity, friends? Uh, actually, the answer is the, uh, the graphics behind us. The, the answer to what lies behind our generosity is our motivation. Our motivations are different uh, because we're all different. We have different personalities. We have different temperaments. And so what I want to invite you to do is pull out your, your smartphones or dumb phone if you have one and go to mygenprofile.com right now. Please do this. Otherwise, I don't know what to do in this moment. Uh, please go to mygenprofile.com right now. And there is an eight-question survey. And just take 15 to 30 seconds to fill that out. Uh, on number nine, it says, pick what campus you attend. Uh, just say, I don't attend Community Christian Church. That, this is a church that put all of this data and analysis together for us. So go ahead right now and spend about 30 seconds filling out, answering those eight questions. And then you will get a profile popped up that says this is your primary and secondary uh, motivation for your specific generosity. All right, ready, set, go. And we also have some fun music by Aloe Black. <laughs> You're welcome. See, this is a part of the service where you get to learn about yourself and judge other people. It'll be great. If you're watching online, we invite you to do the same as well. All right, I think everyone's done or choosing not to engage, so we're going to move on. Um, the first profile that popped up is a cause mover. Anybody, anybody say, uh, took it and said, you are a cause mover. Anybody? One person. All right. Phil Yakey in the house. He actually cares about people. That's great. A cause mover. What I'm going to do is talk about your profile, tell you your motivation, and give you a scripture to read this week that supports your motivation for giving. And so a cause mover uh, gives and expresses his or her generosity because they love making a difference. They see a need, it's very tangible, and they can meet that need, so they give financially or they help somebody out. Uh, this is a person that loves helping other people. And so you would suspect that a scripture that would support this would be the parable of uh, the, good, the Good Samaritan, right, in Luke uh, chapter 10. And if you're unfamiliar with the parable of the Good Samaritan, basically a guy's walking on the road, he gets beat up, and a Samaritan, who, uh, if you don't know the story, should not have helped this guy, but, but did. He's, he's the hero of the story. He picks him up, drops him off at an Airbnb, pays for his housing, pays for his food, pays for his medical care, and sends him on his way. This is somebody that sees a need and says, I can do something about that. And so I'm going to step in and express my generosity. Now, I would, I would guess with our the people we have here at RCC, that many of you are budget keepers. Who, who is a budget keeper? Yeah, oh my gosh, I don't know. My, well, my wife does the finances because we don't want to be homeless. Uh, budget keepers express their generosity because 
not necessarily they can make a difference, but it's the wise thing to do, right? Wise people express their generosity. Now, what I love about this is uh, in the Hebrew word, in the Hebrew language, uh, generosity is the word Sophia. It's feminine. And if you read Proverbs 31, you, you read about what a godly woman looks like, but you also read in sort of a meta, metaphorical sense of how wisdom actually goes about life. <clears throat> and I want to read that for you. In Proverbs 31, the writer says, she gets up, so wisdom, Sophia, she gets up, it's still night, she provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her uh, earnings, she plants uh, a vineyard. Uh, she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trade trading is profitable, and her lamp does not go out at night. She's crushing it at being an entrepreneur. She loves and provides for her family. In her hand, she holds the staff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens uh, her arms to the poor and extends her hand to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. Why does she do this? Because it is the smart thing to do. Now, if you are a budget keeper... <laughs> and your spouse is a faith stretcher, uh, I do marriage counseling. <laughs> Any faith stretchers in the room? This is my secondary one. My, my first profile was the uh, making a difference in a cause. Now, a faith stretcher gives, <clears throat> as you might imagine, because it's an opportunity for spiritual growth. Uh, they they want to stretch their faith, which is different but similar to the fact that some people, the cause movers, want to make a difference. Some people give because it's wise. And some people say, hey, it's good to be generous to our church because it stretches our faith, which is to say it invites us to give Jesus a little more faith and trust than we did before with whatever amount we were or were not giving. And I, one of my favorite parables and stories about generosity is in Luke 21, where Jesus tells a story about a poor widow who outgives rich religious people, which is interesting. He says, he also saw a poor widow put in two very small coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All of these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Generosity, friends, this might be a mind-blowing moment it was when I learned this in my 20s, generosity isn't always a dollar amount. Sometimes it's a faith amount. And Jesus looks at the religious leaders, like he usually does, in a church service, <laughs> and says, these guys are giving out of their wealth. Man, did you hear Bob and Tom? They gave like $5,000 in one Sunday, and Jesus goes, that's not generous. They actually have mo margin to give more. They actually are, so, they are sowing sparingly. What? And, and then he says, well, wait a minute. There's this, there's this single mom making $25,000 a year trying to support her family. And she puts in like, you know, 90% of her income to the church. And Jesus looks at her and says, even though the dollar amount is smaller, she is more generous than the wealthy religious leaders in the same church service. See, sometimes generosity isn't a dollar amount. 
Sometimes it's a faith amount. I've been in ministry for nearly 15 years. I'm getting old. And I've heard multiple conversations of people uh, that had faith-stretching moments. One conversation went like this. A couple found, like, found that they were in over their head with the IRS. They owed a lot of money for taxes. And their tax guy said, hey, good news. I found some uh, extra income. You give a lot of money to your church. If you would just take that income and pay down what you owe the IRS, you'll get out of debt pretty quick. And they looked at the IRS employee and said, well, I guess it's going to take a little longer than we anticipated. Another family told me that uh, they were in a really bad financial position. And the financial investor and planner said, hey, good news, found some discretionary funds. You're very generous. You give a lot of money to your church. Hey, here's the deal. If you would just stop giving to your church and use that money, you could actually save your house. And they looked at the financial planner and investor and said, well, I guess we're going to lose our house. Imagine, like I don't know if that guy or gal was a Christian or not. The point's irrelevant right now. Imagine they're driving home for family dinner. Imagine how much that messed with their head. Here's a couple that literally lost their home because they wanted to be faithful to a God they believed in. Friends, generosity always isn't a dollar amount. Sometimes it's a faith amount. Sometimes it's the opposite of being wise. Sometimes it's being faithful, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't look wise. Uh, there are some of us that are disciplined doers. Anybody that's a disciplined doer, you know, probably really athletic, and you work out at three in the morning, God bless your heart. There's, uh, there's cars you can drive. You don't have to run marathons. Uh, disciplined doers uh, are motivated to give out of joyful obedience. It is their joy to give to the Lord. Now hang with me. This is going to sound like a put down. I promise you it's not. You are a lot like Zacchaeus in Luke 19 after he met Jesus, okay? If you're, who's Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus worked for the IRS. He worked for the Roman government. It was his job to collect taxes during tax time. And the Roman uh, politicians would say, uh, 7% of everyone's annual income in the Roman Empire needs to go back to Rome. But if you want to lie and say it's 10%, you can keep the other three. And so Zacchaeus wasn't well-liked, but he encountered Jesus, and Jesus went to his house and, and had a meal with him and changed his life. And, and now this very wealthy man is not stealing from people. He's giving to people, and he's expressing his generosity joyfully out of obedience for what Jesus did in his own life. He's joyfully obedient. The, the fifth profile, we've got two more, are community growers. Anybody like community? Not the show, although that is good, but anybody love community? Uh, you love being in your life group. You love having fellowship with other Christians. For some of us, we're compelled because it takes all of us to give. That's the motivation. Everybody is all in. And a passage of scripture that you should read this week that may not be something that you have thought about is actually Exodus 36, right? Where Moses instructs the Israelites to build the tabernacle. It's because of the generosity of God's people that something gets done. Sometimes generosity is a dollar amount. Sometimes generosity is a faith amount. And sometimes generosity is a relationship amount. 
Like our church, actually there's not one church, but our church cannot continue to exist. Again, I don't know what you give. That's not, that's, I don't want to know that. But churches cannot exist if only 20% of the people are carrying the budget. Like it just, it, that just like does not work. And so if you are a community grower, you love the fact that generosity is for everybody. And while we're all in different phases of life, everybody can give, everybody can contribute. And when everybody contributes, we create a place for people to come and worship, people to meet Jesus and take their next steps. The last uh, generosity profile, friends, uh, are the legacy builders. Anybody a legacy builder here? Yeah, that's awesome. I, di- I didn't know that people did this uh, until I was in my 20s, but there are some folks that think about life after death with their finances. And part of what Financial Peace University does for us, it helps them step into their motivation, which is leaving a legacy. And you, you discover this in FPU is what does it look like to be generous, not only to your family, but even your church family after you pass on? What does it look like for you to continue to build a legacy? If you're a legacy giver, I want to challenge you to read. Here's your, here's your scripture. The entire book of Ruth. All right. It's a short book, but has one of my favorite dudes in it. His name's Boaz. And Boaz gets word that Ruth uh, is a widow. And he basically takes her in, provides for her, cares for her. And through his love and generosity towards Ruth, his legacy of generosity continues to live on. Friends, look, here's the, here's the deal. God is a generous God. He's wired all of us to be generous, but he's, all of us, he's wired all of us to be uniquely generous. And your motivation is great. Your motivation is great. My motivation is great, so long that we know what it is and we actually step into it. So I'm going to close the sermon the way I started. I invite you to grab the 90-day generosity challenge card uh, on your way out and begin having that conversation with your family. What does it look like for us to step into generosity, whether that's increasing our giving by a number, a percentage, or maybe, this is, this is my personally my favorite step, we're going to give for the very first time at RCC. So let me pray and we'll continue in worship. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to walk alongside of us. Uh, generosity, like all other spiritual disciplines, is something that we don't do for you, because that would be religion, but it's something that we get to do with you. That would be a relationship. And so I invite our church to prayerfully consider, Jesus, what, what does it look like to step into generosity, and, and with what, to what degree do I have permission to do that? I, I pray that people would know that this is a place that they can give freely, not under compulsion, not under condemnation or religious PTSD or guilt trips, that they can give freely out of an overflowing love of what you're doing in the midst of their family and in the midst of their life and even in the midst of our church life. We invite your spirit in the midst of, our, of this room as we continue in worship, as we stand and sing. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.